Hello. We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christlikeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Have you ever been asleep and someone comes in the room? It's been pitch black up until that point, but somebody comes into the room and you know maybe, they're, maybe they have a loud entrance and then they just flip the light on and all of a sudden you're disoriented, and, but you're awake. Like They've got your attention, right? Um, when, I was a, when I was a teenager, that was my dad's favorite thing. Like, for some reason, he just really enjoyed waking me up without me expecting it. Um, so, you know, I'd think, man, tomorrow's the day off of school, like it's a snow day, or, um, or they just gave us off for one of those random holidays that none of us really know what it's about, um, but it's on the calendar, so school's closed. Um, and, and I'd be like, this is going to be great. I'm exhausted from basketball practice last night. I'm going to sleep in in the morning. This is going to be great. And he'd come in and be like, get up, and you know, turn the light on, and, and he'd be like, be outside in five minutes. And, and he'd have a, a list of things for me to do that morning. And I was like, what is happening? You know? But what my dad was, was, was calling me towards is immediate action. Um, so when he came in the room to, to wake me up, he had a plan for how things should be going that day for me. And, and his presence was meant to wake me up and call me to action. And so similarly, what Mark is trying to do in his gospel is he presents Jesus in a really fast and sudden way for us because he's calling us to immediate action. So Mark, as we said, is, is going to use this word immediate over and over again throughout his book, and he's propelling the narrative, the story forward. And he's just like, it's like, it's like a machine gun. He's just shooting things out to us about who Jesus is and how Jesus demonstrates himself to be the King and the Son of God and what that means for us. And so Mark is going to present Jesus in a very fast, sudden, and powerful way for us. And the reason he's doing it is because this gospel that he's proclaiming about Jesus calls for immediate action from you and I. And so with that said, let's jump in to Mark chapter 1, where our main point this evening is just going to be simply that Jesus is the King, and he is the Son of God. Mark starts his book this way. He says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so the way I'm going to do this tonight is we're not going to read through the whole thing at once because there's so many moving pieces and so many things that Mark is trying to do so quickly that I want to do it in little chunks so that we uh, can, can get what he's trying to do but um, actually nail down why he's saying the things he's saying instead of just reading through it quickly and then trying to go back and explain what happened. Um, so in this first little sentence here, uh, notice that he starts it out with the beginning. And so it, what does that word beginning bring up in your mind? Well, it probably points you back towards how the Bible starts, doesn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And, and then you think about maybe even John's gospel, where John introduces Jesus in a similar way, using the same word beginning. Um, and, and so 
one of the things we're going to learn about Jesus very quickly is from Mark and from other Gospels um, and the things we read about him is that Jesus is bringing about a new beginning. So Jesus, uh, so there's, in the Bible you, you see these things like the old creation and the new creation. So uh, God created everything and then uh, humanity sinned against God and the world uh, was broken because of that sin. Our lives were broken and we were in need of a redeemer, a king to come and set things right and rule and reign again. And so Jesus is that king who's coming and the Bible often presents this in terms of a new creation, so that the whole creation is being restored. And, and so words like beginning, at the very beginning of a book that's telling us about the gospel, should point us back to how this whole thing started. And so Jesus is coming on the scene, and Mark's proclaiming what he calls the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so this message that he's going to be proclaiming, the gospel, I think we can define it in a very uh, simple way um, that you may have not heard it this way before. Um, so I think the way that Mark would define the gospel is simply God's redemptive rule and reign established in Jesus. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, uh, he's going to come as a king, um, as, the, as the video pointed to, that's going to establish a new rule and a new reign that's redemptive. And so Look at this term, the Son of God. That's Mark's favorite term for Jesus. He calls him the Son of God over and over and over again throughout his gospel. And if you think about the term Son of God, um, there's, there's several people or several things in the Old Testament that we should be thinking about when we hear that kind of terminology, the Son of God. Um, and, and the first is probably going way back, as we said at the beginning, with Adam. Um, in Luke 3.38, and Luke's genealogy of Jesus, he kind of shows how Jesus comes on the scene by showing where he came from. And that genealogy ends with Adam. And, he, and there Luke calls Adam the son of God. And so Mark says that Jesus too is the son of God. And before I go further with that, I do want to give you guys four themes that I think we're going to see throughout these first 15 verses here. Um, just because they're all there at various points in various ways, and I don't know that we're going to get to talk real in-depth about all of them, but hopefully throughout the series we'll unpack each of them a little bit more as Jesus shows himself to bring about these things. So uh, the first is new creation, like we talked about, and the second is that Jesus is a new Adam. Um, he's going to be an Adam that does things a little bit differently than the first Adam did. So if you think back, the first Adam uh, was tempted and along with his wife, and they both sinned against God, Jesus is going to do things differently than that. Um, Jesus is also going to be presented by Mark as the new Israel. Um, so just as you think about that term, son of God, uh, there's sometimes in the Old Testament where God refers to his people Israel as his son. Um, one example of that is in Hosea 11, 1 and 2. And I'm just going to read that real quick for you guys so you see what I mean. I can find the book of Hosea. That'd be ideal. Wouldn't it? <laughs> Thanks, Adam. <laughs> I wrote the page somewhere now so I can get to it quickly, which didn't happen. All right, here we go. 
<laughs> Hosea 11, verses 1 and 2. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. And so just in those first few verses of Hosea 11, we see that God refers to Israel as his son, a son whom he loves, and also a son that's completely rebelled against him. And so if you think about the Old Testament, over and over and over again, we're presented with humanity's decision to do things their own way. And it starts in the garden. It starts in the garden where Adam and Eve decided that, you know what, um, I know that God has told me what is good and what is evil, um, but what this serpent over here is saying to me, you know, it sounds like maybe I can figure that out for myself. And so they take of the fruit and they eat it. And in doing so, they, they declare to God, I don't need you to tell me what's good and evil. I can do this on my own. I can be just like you. And I can determine what's good and evil. And so if, if you think about that, really, postmodern, postmodernism started way back at the beginning, didn't it? It's not a new thing. There's nothing new under the sun. The ideologies, the things that drive our lives and our cultures um, are not completely new things. They go back to the heart of what sin is. Um, we constantly... Throughout the Old Testament, you see over and over and over again, human beings decide to do things their own way, rebel against the authority and the rule of God, and decide that, you know what, I know what's best for my life. I can do things my way, and this will work out for me. And it doesn't, but we continually make that decision. And so Israel in Hosea 11 is called God's son, and that's exactly what they do. Uh, God talks about how they kept sacrificing and burning offerings to idols and turning to false gods. And so Jesus is going to be presented by Mark as the new Israel as well, who's faithful instead of faithless. And also Jesus finally is going to bring about a new exodus. So if you think again about the Old Testament and the things that happened there, the, the big way that the Israelites would have understood salvation um, is is a little bit different than the way we typically think about it. So if you think about salvation, you probably typically think about justification by grace through faith um, and what Jesus has done for you in his death, burial, and resurrection, right? And that's not wrong at all. That's completely right, and we should think of salvation in those terms because that's certainly part of what God is doing in saving and redeeming us. But the way that the uh, Jewish people would have understood salvation is they would have looked at this great event in their history, the exodus from Egypt, and they would have seen the way that God delivered their people after hundreds of years of not hearing from him, not understanding why their lives were so terrible, why they were in slavery, what was going on, where was God, and all of a sudden, God sends his messenger, sends his servant Moses and then some things start to happen. And God delivers his people through the exodus. He parts the Red Sea, and they pass through untouched. And then all of their enemies are covered in the waters and destroyed behind them. And so the, the Israelites would have thought about salvation this way. They would have seen salvation through the lens of the exodus. And so over and over again throughout the Old Testament, there's this promised new exodus. So if you think about the story of the Old Testament, uh, 
Um, the people are delivered from Egypt, um, and then they get into the promised land. Well, not even before they get there, they start sinning against God again, don't they? They're in the wilderness, which Mark is going to talk about as well. And they start sinning against God again, saying, you know what, this isn't really working for me, and I think uh, we should do things this way. And they sin against God, and things don't work out for them, because they never do, ultimately. Uh, sin brings instant pleasure, but uh, destruction after that. And, and so Jesus is going to bring about a new exodus, which was promised in the prophets, um, because after you see this disobedience of God's Old Testament people, um, they're sent into captivity again. So early in the Old Testament, they're in Egypt and they're enslaved, and then later in the Old Testament, Babylon and Assyria, kind of the other powerhouses of the ancient world, they come in and take over. And then we get to the New Testament, and the people reading Mark's book are like, well, now Rome's in power, and Rome's in control. And so God's people know what it's like to not be in control as a result of their sin, and to be in captivity. And Jesus is the one who's going to bring about this promised new exodus, this new deliverance. And so Mark's going to talk about those four things in a variety of ways. But let's move down. And notice that in verse 2 it says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the, in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so what's Mark saying? If, if you look at that first part in verse 2, he quotes Isaiah, right? But then if you jump down, the first part of that verse is actually not Isaiah, is it? And so that can kind of give us a little bit of, like, what's happening? Um, he says he's quoting Isaiah, but then the first part of what he quotes is not Isaiah at all. It's actually from Malachi 3.1. And, and then he says something that Isaiah said. So he quotes Malachi and Isaiah together, and sometimes that can give people some confusion. Um, but what Mark's doing is actually a, a common practice of his day. He, he doesn't see the need to go, okay, so Malachi said this and Isaiah said this. Um, rather, he says, here's what Isaiah says, and in refer he's referring to both. Um, he's referring to the, the more prominent prophet, the uh, greater prophet Isaiah, and he quotes also from the minor prophets um, as well. And so that first part in Malachi, if you look at Malachi chapter 3. And as Adam noted earlier, this is still in the Old Testament as well. <laughs> so Malachi chapter 3. 
Here's what it says. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And so Malachi says uh, that there's going to be a messenger that God sends. He's going to prepare the way before God himself comes. And so when we look at what Mark is saying, Mark quotes Malachi and says, this is what's happening. This thing that Malachi promised would happen, that there's going to be a messenger who's coming before God himself comes to bring about this new exodus, this new deliverance for his people. He's on the scene in John the Baptist. And that's what Isaiah is communicating as well um, in Isaiah 40. Uh, what you see there is that uh, basically if you go back and read those first few verses, 1 through 5, what you'll see is uh, the way of the king who brings the second exodus is prepared in the wilderness. And so what these prophets are also referring to is this wilderness place, um, which throughout the Bible is this uh, place that was desolate, um, but it was also this place that uh, God tended to call his people, uh, tended to meet with his people, and tended to test and try them to cause them to depend on him. And so the wilderness was this common place where things happened, and they would have understood when they read this that, okay, what he's referring to here is that all these promises that God has made to us over all these years are finally coming to pass. And so John appears starting to baptize people out in the wilderness, and they think back to what the prophet said, and they're like, it's happening. He's finally coming. He's coming, and things are going to start to get better. Because if, if you remember what the video said, the way they thought about the Messiah's coming, right, they thought he was going to be a king who came to rule and reign and not just do it spiritually at first, but do it physically as well. So he was going to come in, and he was going to overthrow Rome, and finally, they were going to be in control again, and things were going to go well for them. And as the video said, Jesus is very careful uh, about the way people understand what he's bringing about. It's not that he's not going to come back and uh, eliminate other rules and reign in a physical way. It's that when he came at his first advent, his first coming, uh, he was coming to reign in a initial and spiritual way. So he inaugurates the kingdom, and then it's going to come to fulfillment later. And so John appears, and he's the messenger that had been expected before God himself was going to show up. And so what you see that Mark is saying is that Jesus isn't just going to be a guy who shows up and starts to do some things. Jesus, what we see in Jesus is that God himself comes to us, and he comes to set all that has gone wrong right again. And all that has gone evil, he comes to make it new, um, to give life. And then let's jump down to verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. 
so there's a lot that we could unpack there, but let's just briefly talk about a couple things. So Jesus comes on the scene after the messenger had came before him in John, and he comes and he's baptized by John. And as he's, Mark doesn't say as much as some of the other gospel writers say about the baptism of Jesus, um, because he's trying to make specific points. And so he says he wants to get you going forward. And so we're not going to stop and plant our feet and like talk a whole lot about what's happening, but uh, because Mark wants us to move forward. And he says, immediately you saw the heavens being torn open. And so there's this idea here that uh, this separation that has happened between heaven and earth is coming to an end. And so literally the sky is torn open when Jesus shows up to be the new Israel, to be faithful where they were faithless, and he's baptized. Uh, and what that shows is that not that he needed to repent of sin and come and be baptized and confess sin like these other people were doing, but rather that Jesus is showing up, as the other gospel writers say, to fulfill all righteousness. And I think what they mean there is that Jesus is going to identify himself with Israel because he's coming as the new Israel. And he's coming as the one who's going to be faithful. He's going to be God's son with whom God is well pleased, as Mark says. And so, whereas Israel rebelled against God in the Old Testament, Jesus is coming on the scene to stand in their place, on their behalf, and obey where they disobeyed. And he's going to do that perfectly, as we'll see. And God declares from the very beginning here, God the Father speaks to his son and says, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And so Jesus is different than Adam and Israel and all these people we see throughout the Old Testament. With him, God is well pleased. And then look what happens right after this. Verse 12, it says, The Spirit immediately, there's that word again, drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. And so Mark shows us that Jesus comes and he's baptized, and uh, he's showing how he's going to be the new Israel, bring about the new Exodus, uh, all these things that we've talked about. And then uh, God sends the Spirit, and the Spirit comes down and rests upon Jesus at his baptism. And the Hebrew people, the Jewish readers, would have read this and thought, okay, new covenant is coming about. The new uh, relationship God is going to establish with his people that's not going to end, it's going to be forever, um, that's coming about because in the prophecies about that, uh, the Spirit coming down was a part of it. And so, in Jesus, we're seeing that present, and look at what the Spirit does with Jesus. It says it drove him out into the wilderness. And so, like we said about the wilderness, the wilderness is this desolate place, um, this place where there's not a lot of provision. Um, if you think about the Old Testament, uh, that the people, when they got into the wilderness after the exodus from Egypt, they needed God to provide for them because there was nothing there. And so Jesus goes out into the wilderness, which is this 
very scary place, this place where there's um, all sorts of things that can happen to you. And Jesus goes out there because he's led by the Spirit to do so. And you think, what is happening? Why would God lead someone to a place like this? And again, it's because Mark and the other gospel writers are showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things in the Old Testament. And, and so he goes out into the wilderness, and he's tempted by Satan. So the Spirit drives him to a place where he's going to experience temptation, he's going to experience hardship, he's going to experience some really difficult things. And it's the Spirit of God who led him there. And so as we think about our own lives, it shouldn't be surprising that God would lead us through some difficult spots. And so when, when hardship comes in our own lives, our temptation is to be just like the Old Testament people of God, and look at God and be like, where are you at? And if, if we look at what the Spirit does with Jesus, it shouldn't surprise us when we go through financial hardship, when times are tough at work or at home, the relationships that we have in our lives, when those are uh, difficult to navigate and deal with. Um, you know, so the holidays, we just got through Christmas, Thanksgiving, all of that, New Year's, um, and so if, if I would guess, um, there's probably not many of us who didn't experience some difficulty at some point during the holidays. A lot of us probably have relationships in our family that are difficult to deal with. We don't even know how to relate to this person. They make it so hard to communicate with them, and I mean, family reunions are just a disaster. You know, you don't even know what to do when you walk in that room. It feels like a wilderness. <laughs> um, you don't know what to expect, or you do know what to expect, and you're sad when it happens. Um, but these sorts of difficulties shouldn't be surprising for us. Because if Jesus himself was led by the Spirit through difficult places and difficult times, then, one, we should know that it's not unprecedented for someone that God is pleased with to go through something hard. And so just because something hard is happening in your life does not mean that God is angry with you. And please, please hear that. It may be that God wants to knock off some of the edges as he brings you through something really difficult. Or who knows what he's wanting to do in the midst of that. But it shouldn't surprise us, even if God is pleased with us, that he would walk us through some difficult things. And we should be encouraged by the fact that that's what's happening. He's walking us through it. It doesn't stop there. So Jesus is in the wilderness 40 days, right? Which, you know, seems like a long time. If you read in other Gospels, he's not eating during that time. He's fasting and praying. Um, and... Forty days is a long time, right? I mean, I go without food for a couple of hours, and I'm not pleasant to be around. Um, Brittany can tell you that. So, <laughs> um, but this is really difficult, and the spirit drove him here. But he's—it's temporary. And notice that it says, 
So Jesus is tempted by Satan, and so he's going to go and he's going to do battle where Adam failed. And so at the beginning we noted how Mark kind of like just alludes to and points us back a little bit to some of the things that happened in the Old Testament, one of those being what happens right around the beginning with creation. And so God creates Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden, and then the serpent comes, Satan himself, and he starts to deceive them. And he starts to tempt them to disobey God, to look at God and say, listen, I know what you've said, but here's what I'm thinking. And I think I'm going to go this route. And what they do is they do go that route. They go their own way. They establish their own rule over their lives instead of being subjected to God. And they eat fruit. The one thing they were told not to do. And that's, that's the thing about us. You and I are no different. If God told us not to do one thing, eventually we'd probably do that one thing. And, and, and if you think you're different, if you think that if God just gave me one command, I'd nail it, then can I just plead with you that you're way off base and you have way too much confidence in your own ability. Because throughout human history, we've shown ourselves to be those who establish our own rule over our own lives, and we want to do things our way. And it's our way or the highway. And thank God that he's gracious and comes in Jesus despite that. And so Jesus is doing battle in the wilderness, and he's being tempted by Satan because he's the new Adam, and he's going to show that where Adam failed, he's not going. And so Jesus overcomes the temptation. He's faithful to God, no matter how hard it gets. And it says that he was with the wild animals, and angels were ministering to him. And a lot of the commentators and scholars will look at that wild animals thing, and some of them will say, okay, well, that's just what happened in the wilderness. There were these scary beasts, you know, lions and all sorts of things that would just tear you up. Um, but a lot of them actually say that what Mark is getting at, look, at, look closely at what he says. It says, and he was with the wild animals. So it doesn't say Jesus saw some lions coming and he ran the other way. It says that Jesus was out in the wilderness where all these scary, difficult things happened. And he was with the wild animals. And so if Mark is presenting Jesus as a new Adam who's faithful where Adam wasn't, and we think back to what God commanded Adam and Eve at the beginning, they were to be his vice regents. His, uh, they were going to, under God's rule and reign, under his authority, they were going to rule over the creation, right? including the animals. And so in Genesis, you see that Adam even names all the animals, showing his dominion over them. But then when the fall happens, when we sin against God, everything that was once right with the world goes wrong. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, even just a little glimpse of what he experiences, we, we're going to start to see little bits of how Jesus is going to bring about the new creation and the kingdom of God is being inaugurated in his ministry so that what was wrong is going to be set right. And so then, let's look at what Jesus preaches. 
verse 14, it says, now, so another way that Mark's going to kind of propel the story forward, uh, it says, now after John was arrested. So the messenger is off the scene now. He's just been arrested, thrown in prison, and now what's Jesus going to do? Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so, as we've said over and over again, Mark is showing in all these different ways, and he's going to continue to show it, that Jesus is fulfilling all the things that the Old Testament pointed people towards. All the promises that God's people had hoped in, all the things that they expected God to do, they're being done in who Jesus is and what he's going to do. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and he starts proclaiming the gospel. He starts proclaiming the good news about his coming, that in his coming, all these promises that God has made are coming to pass, finally. And people have hope because of that. And notice what he says when he preaches. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. And so that's why at the beginning of the message, I said, I think when we look at Mark's gospel, I think how Mark would define the gospel, this message that he's proclaiming, is that Jesus is bringing about God's redemptive rule and reign. So Mark talks about the gospel in terms of the kingdom. And so, whereas we look at what we do with our lives and we try to assert our own authority, Jesus comes bringing the authority and reign of God. And this authority and reign is not just this authority that he's going to come in and force people to kneel right now. Rather, it's a winsome, redemptive message that's being proclaimed. That, listen, all the, all the kings and all the rulers and all the world and all the societies that have come up to this place, this place and time, they've all failed at something. But now in Jesus, the kingdom of God is coming about. And so if you think about elections and inaugurations. We've got one coming up here in the United States. And, you know, depending on who you voted for, maybe you're super excited about that, or maybe you're just despairing of life. Um, no matter where you're at, um, there's no question about it that when a new president or a new ruler comes on the scene, lots and lots changes. Um, maybe not as much as you'd hoped, or in the ways that you'd hoped. But when someone is inaugurated into an office, things start to change. And so if we just look back on, um, you know, years ago, President Obama was inaugurated. And then some things changed. And maybe you liked some of those things. Maybe you really didn't like some of those things. And it's going to be the same way when President-elect Trump becomes president. He's going to be inaugurated. He's going to... Uh, and his, his leadership and rule is going to start, and then some things are going to start to change. And so how much more when the Son of God comes to earth to establish his rule and his reign? 
And so Mark presents Jesus in a very sudden way, and he proclaims a kingdom. Because what God is doing in Jesus is he's bringing about his own redemptive rule in there. And so as we go throughout the book of Mark in our series, we're going to see the different ways in which Jesus starts to do this. That the kingdom of God starts to become present and apparent here on earth. And so, I don't know where you're at in your own life tonight. I don't know what you've gone through. I mean, just today, uh, me and Eddie's professor had a relative that died unexpectedly. And then when I picked Brittany up from work today, uh, she told me that somebody had died at their office today and of a heart attack. And, and so the point I'm trying to make is that life is often sudden. And difficulty is going to arise. And pain is going to be experienced. And sin and temptation are things that we're going to wrestle with in all sorts of ways. But there's a real and true and lasting hope that Mark presents for us. Because what Mark's gospel is all about is the real and true king whose rule is redemptive. It redeems us in all the ways that we've gone wrong and tried to assert our own authority. The gospel changes us and makes us new, enables us to believe what God has done. And so tonight, would you look at what Jesus preached? And as we go throughout this series, would you ask God, and I'm going to be doing the same thing, to help us repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray. God, we are thankful that you don't leave us to our own ways, or that you're gracious, and no matter how many times we've looked at you and said, I think my way's better, you still sent your son to be faithful where we were faithless, to die the death that we should have died, and to be resurrected to a new life that we can have in him. And so God, would you help us to see Jesus clearly, to see him for the king that he is, and to willingly submit to his rule and his reign in our lives knowing that that is truly what is good and what is best for us. In Jesus' name we ask it.